You speak in like haikus almost. Uh, I speak in sound bites. You do. They're easily digestible. Yeah. But at the same time, they're like, it's like we're in your head when you speak, but you're not acknowledging that at all. <laughs> so you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, memes are the in game currency of life. Oh, that's t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Who are the real true believers? They're doing it again with the whole coffee drinking. This is awesome. <laughs> you're very perceptive because I don't think anyone else I've is. Never. Very it is literally in unison with the same cups. How do people not notice this? Okay. <laughs> You've explained this to other people, right? <laughs> <laughs> actually, no one's asked me this question. No. In, the, in the decades I've actually really? been in business, uh, yeah, no one has asked me yeah, if I personally more, review them or if my dog. <laughs> <laughs> ben, welcome to the podcast, man. We're excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. So in our, our kind of research, I, I've noticed that you've done two TED Talks. Yeah. Yeah, one TEDx Talks, yeah. TEDx Talks, right? Yeah. So I'm, one of the things I'm curious about is why did you choose to make one of the topics immigration? Oh my gosh. You could have talked about so many different things. Yeah, um, it's personally very meaningful to me. Um, I spent uh, 10 years of my life fighting um, uh, the, the agencies that were involved in uh, my immigration process because there was a whole bunch of like uh, issues that came up. It was unrelated to me. It was with you know, my parents' immigration uh, paperwork. Um, and you realize just how messed up that system is and how it's almost like a, a judicial system that is beholden to no one, mm. right? Because if you're not a citizen of the, United, of the United States, you have no political power. So if you're an immigrant and you're going through a, ju uh, a, a judicial system, they are not accountable to you. So they can treat you like whatever the hell you, uh, they want, right? So fighting for the rights of people who don't have um, power in the system is really important. And because it happened to me, um, I wanted to make sure that people had people knew how difficult it is for even entrepreneurs and other people who the, the United States theoretically wants to, yeah. to become uh, a citizen here. I guess one thing that's interesting is have you, I, I mean, recently I've started to see a lot more people, especially in like the startup space, get O-1 visas almost yeah. handed out to them yeah. by their like, you know, venture funds. Um, that they're that they raised from. Apart from that, have you seen anything kind of change since you know in the year since you've given the talk? Uh, so O one visas, like you said, have been handed out by a lot of people. I think it's a really great program because it in increases the likelihood of someone with skills immigrating to the United States. H one B should be expanded. Um, there's a bunch of people fighting for this. I think the Jobs Act actually was it almost ten years ago now that actually expanded the the program, and I think that's why the O one visa actually has grown. Um, and then it's funny because like if you live in Canada, you're not allowed to come in under a bunch of visas that other people can't. Like we actually like treat Canadians a little bit differently than everybody else and sometimes worse. And, you know, in your opinion, like you're like Canadians, right? It's like, why don't we let more of them in? They just want to move down here. Yeah. And they have to like go home like every few years and things like that. And it's kind of annoying. Interesting. Yeah. But and yeah, O1 expanding is like fantastic. And then apart from O1 and H1B, have you seen any other changes that have made it easier? No, unfortunately not. Actually, the pandemic's actually made the process worse because it's slowed down and things like that. It's a very costly process. I, I don't think we're going to see any kind of immigration reform in the next few years. So I think like we have to use the tools that we have so far. And mm. then to, to almost kind of transition, you were building Cheeseburger. And when, what year did you start building this? Yeah, so um, I started this company called the Cheeseburger Network back in September of 2007, right before the, the crash. Ouch. And then did you... Yeah. Did you see that, you know, by, by that time, had you already kind of gotten over most of your visa issues or were you still going through it? Um, I had already gone through it. You had already gone through it? I was it. on the other side, yeah. Gotcha. Luckily. And so you, you, so it's not like, you know, the Cheeseburger Network helped you with any of those? 
No, it wasn't. And it was, it was like, I was working uh, on an H1B at a startup prior to that. Got it. Yeah. So in between that startup and uh, starting Cheeseburger, I had actually um, resolved those issues. Got it. But it's, it's like, if I had this cloud of like being kicked out of the United States over my head, would I have started a company? Probably not. Mm. Right. And the, and the world would have lost out on, you know, more cat memes, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about that. How would you describe Cheeseburger? Yeah. So the Cheeseburger is the company that ran sites like I Can As Cheeseburger, home of low cats, uh, cats with captions on them, basically. Uh, so these were like OG internet memes, right? Before anybody knew what a meme was, like people, before anyone knew how to pronounce a meme, right? It was like memes, memes, like what are they? Like, um, fail blog, know your meme. Uh, we brought back animated GIFs. Like I remember like, um, we were on wordpress.com, like hosting these animated GIFs and we had like 10 X our bandwidth throughput because every image went from like 50 K to like two megabytes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this was people like people had forgotten about GIFs and now, you know, yeah. there was a whole treasure trove of them. You could actually bring back. Wait, so that, there's two things interesting. So you essentially started memes on the internet. I, I can't take credit for that, okay. but I h- had a big hand in um, lots of people discovering what an internet meme mm-hmm. was. Yeah. Well, you're the OG meme lord. I am the OG on, meme lord. I am one so. of the OG meme lords. Okay. And we're gonna yeah. Are there other people down. with like this specific, like you have to earn this OG um, meme lord? I'm going to start a, uh, an institution that will hand out OG-ness of internet memes at some okay. point, but maybe yeah. I'll do that after retirement. That could be a ranking. We could make that, right? Like a like a tiered ranking only, system? Only if you can like search back in the Wayback Machine to yeah. like start prior to like 2007, because I want to make sure I get credit for all the ones that I have. You know, have okay. If you start that, it now, then it's not OG. It's like LG, right? Now. Late gangsta. Yeah. One thing that was really cool to me about Cheeseburger was there was this concept of a, a reality TV show. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So it's like Silicon Valley. Uh, except it was in Seattle. <laughs> oh, and it was real. <laughs> and it was real. Uh, it was a reality show. And, and, you know, take it with a grain of salt, right? Every reality show is, is highly produced behind the scenes. Um, but it was a lot of, uh, of fun. So the reality show, which is actually, I think, still available on Apple TV. Um, <laughs> you guys are looking at each other. You're like, shit, we should have found some. We should have uh, watched the We should have watched it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, picked up by Bravo, uh, the cable networks. I was, you know, uh, a cable TV reality show star. Memes will get you that far. <laughs> Memes will get you everywhere. It, it, wow. How many, how many episodes did you do? Six episodes. Yeah. Six episodes. Yeah. And what was the actual theme around it? It was actually about the company, um, Cheeseburger. And so it was a bunch of people who worked there. Um, and, uh, we had shenanigans. Like, it's like, it was like kind of like the office. Like that okay. was the theme that they wanted to portray. So yeah. you can see me like do interviews where I'm just like, yeah. And I don't know what that guy was thinking when he did that. You know, it's like like the narrative behind it and stuff like that with like the blinds and shades behind you. Oh, you d- you did the, all of that. The whole 9 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was like it was like supposed to be like a internet meme reality version of like The Office. How established were you guys at this point like in terms of the company? I think uh there were like 100 employees, uh oh. a couple hundred million MAUs. Yeah. Wait, but you, you can't tell me that all 100 employees were like media trained or able to no. be themselves so, on So so they segregate you into a little corner so they have like a handful of employees that work on the reality show. Gotcha. Yeah. And so um, there's actually a few scenes in the show where people have multiple laptops on their desk. <laughs> so like my wife is actually on the show. And so like my wife will be working on her laptop and there's another laptop. With, and the reason was that Apple had sent us laptops to use as a sponsored like product placement. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. But we already had laptops. Yeah. 
And so like people like waiting for the shot and they're like doing work. Oh, yeah. and then they switch it. They move to but, the other. <laughs> but it's like, I already have a Mac. Why do I need another Mac? But they're like, oh, you, you have to. already on Mac. You already on Macs. Yeah. They're like, you have to use the Mac that they sent you. Uh, and so our answer was great. We'll just have everybody have two laptops. Did anyone <laughs> comment? Like, did anyone call you guys out for that? I don't think so. So in 20, 2007 or, or whenever this was, it was just. Yeah, it was if you saw the show, thirteen, yeah. So in twenty thirteen, if you saw the show, you thought that it was just normal for startups to have two laptops. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's that's a cool way of looking at it. I mean, I guess it kind of so is. much tech. Two yeah, laptops. more tech is two better. <laughs> you want a blockchain? We'll take you. We'll give you ten blockchains. <laughs> How do you think that this like startup show that was based in Seattle impacted like, yeah. Silicon Valley and how people perceive? you know, tech culture. So what's funny was at the same time, there was another show called Silicon Valley uh, that was on HBO. I think it was, or it was, it was right after us. And it was doing such a good job of just skewering tech and just like calling us out on our bullshit. And I was like, um, that was pretty f- uh, funny to watch because we were, um, people would email us and uh, they would be like, I just assumed that people who ran fail blog were two dudes without their shirts in a basement. <laughs> Right. And we're like, oh, no, no, we're like a actual real company with real staff and we get advertisers and all that stuff. What was the process of monetizing or actually running a company like in 2013? Yeah. So the thing that's interesting is we got started during the Great Recession. And so imagine like advertisers were literally going out of business. I think yeah. the Tribune company had gone bankrupt a while, like right after we started, and they owed us like $150,000. So wow. imagine you're generating revenue. You're like, yeah, we're going to be like ramen profitable. And like your biggest advertiser is like, sorry, we might belly up and we can't pay you. And I'm like, but you're this massive company. How is that possible? And like everything you know about how to make money, like it was suspect. Mm. Right? You're like, shit. Maybe Those 90 we- day receivables never coming in, right? Yeah. There's, there's a reason why they're 90 day receivables. Um, yeah. So we had to like be really super scrappy and we had to get to profitability because I don't think we could have gotten funding again. Hmm. Right? Like 2007, before the bust, like people are funding uh, startups and, you know, you'll take a wild idea. The moment there's a crash, they're like, oh, no, 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 that's way too insane. Mm. How much money had you raised before? Uh, two and a quarter. Okay. And how much did, how long did you have to make that stretch? Uh, so we became profitable within three months. How? Um, Google AdSense. I mean, we were like, wow. so imagine this operation, right? Like in the very beginning, I am on my couch at home and I get submissions of people using our um, meme editor to create captions and user generated content. And I sit there and I'm like, I have to select which ones to post the next day. And so like, oh, our overhead is like super low. And our traffic was just growing like this. But isn't this easy to copy? Like if I'm uh-huh. seeing you guys generating such great traffic, like how, yeah, how did you do that? It's a script, that? right? You just yeah, like copy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there are, there, that's the difficult thing. I think one of the downfalls of the Cheeseburger Network was that there was very little barrier to competition. We were disrupted by Facebook and Reddit. Mm, right? Because you could just start a meme site on Reddit for nothing and you have a baked in community and you have a ranking system and the red votes. And so it was much more scalable of a business. Mm. Whereas we were more editorial focused, trying to move to a tech platform. Right. And it was costing us time and money. And by the time we were making our migration, mobile had taken off and we're like, fuck, we're already behind the curve. Um, We don't think we can, we don't have enough resources to actually go tackle mobile. Mm. So if you were to go back right now and kind of try to avoid the cheeseburger fail, would yeah. you have just pivoted to mobile? Would you have started a Facebook page? What would you have done? Um, I would have probably just started out of mobile and taken the the 
the traffic hit from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would have probably created something much more scalable using software and less editorial judgment, right? Gotcha. I, I, I think it would have been much harder to compete with Reddit, but I think there's space because it was Dig and Reddit at the time. And so we didn't know which was going to be the winner, like which type of social community platform was actually going to win. Right. And so I think there was space for at least two or three more. Mm. Like StumbleUpon was a thing at the time, yeah. right? Like all these social discovery sites were around. Interesting. Um, and then even kind of larger scale than that, right now when you look at the creator economy, Mr. Beast just raised at like what, a $1.5 billion valuation? Yeah. And so, I mean, Furkan was telling us, now we're back into like 2000, like the dot-com bubble where now you're starting to see unicorn creators and it's like this open territory. Yeah. What do you think of, you know, where we are at or where we're at right now with the whole creator economy? This this upcoming recession is going to be a really interesting time because it's going to separate. In every recession, there is a what's called a flight to quality, right? In other words, people like Mr. Beast actually do well because all of the risk-taking that happened in the mid to long tail in a recession will go to the winners, right? And so you're going to see a consolidation, I think, with some of the existing space. And then you're going to see the birth of the next generation of stuff. Because the moment you realize that you're not going to make money for a year or two and you can actually sit down and build, and you don't have to worry about immediate results, you can actually invest in the future, take more risks. So while the market consolidates, builders and founders will take more risk, mm. right? And we'll see that play out over the next two to three years um, as the economy heats back up. So do you think we're like, okay, so in your mind, you're saying, you know, once you know that you you aren't going to make money for one or two years and you can start to build. Yeah. Are you implying that now it makes sense for like creators to raise money? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it may be the window is very small right now. So I don't know how it's going to play out. There's a bunch of VC firms that have capital that they have to deploy. Like VCs can't sit on the sideline for like more than like three to six months because they, their really investing period for a fund is about three years. Mm-hmm. And so if you remove three to six months from that time period, then they're going to lower their returns by just not having enough time for things to grow, right? And so that's where the bucket of money is for us to draw on. If you raise money now and you can survive and make your way through the downturn, you will have less competition, you'll have more experience, you'll have the time to build. Now, the question is like, can you time that correctly? Can you raise the money now to actually get out in the market? But what also, what are you building? Because I'm always fascinated by the revenue streams here. Yeah. And obviously, ad revenue, everyone knows. Yeah. But it's like, how sustainable is it to like, let's say D to C, sell merch, sell like NFTs when we're in a recession, people don't have a lot of money? Like, how do you, how do you see the revenue streams correlating to venture capital when it comes to creators? Um, I think there's two things to consider. One is multiples and the, the other is actual revenue. So DTC makes a ton of revenue but their profit margins are slim and therefore their, their, their multiples are capped, right? Multiples are lower. And so the question is like, is that a real business that VC should be investing in? That's a real business, but like it's not VC returns. Yeah. If you're talking about a pure play software, like NFTs, creator economy, like tools for that uh, ecosystem, you have super high margins. And so you can actually wait um, for the market to catch up with you, mm. right? Because your cost basis is way less. Like I'm not manufacturing a shit ton of mattresses to store an inventory, right? I don't need that much capital. I, I can just focus on the software development, acquire users, and go back to like the basics of high margin software business. Mm, so that's, that's an interesting point. You're, I know you're in like the Web3 space right now, very into DAOs, very much, crypto, yeah. et cetera. Do you see DAOs having a place when it comes to this whole concept of investing in creators? Yeah, so if you think about DAOs, they're the community infrastructure block of Web3. So if you think about the internet moving forward and technology moving forward, how do you organize the people? 
it used to be that you had to do it in a Facebook, you know, group, or um, you just had like a uh, a Slack channel or Discord. How do they actually take action? How do they make decisions? That's where DAOs come in. And so we can distribute tokens that allow us to vote on decisions. And that means that that vote, that vote becomes binding and we can all see that that's the decision that we made. So it allows us to disagree and commit. And so that's an important feature when you actually manage communities is how do we actually come to a consensus on an action that we want to take? And the fact that the DAOs are being uh, baked into protocols and other parts of Web3 uh, tell me that this is a fundamental way that we will organize us, organize ourselves in the future. Mm. So I, wa- I, d- I do want to talk about Orange and, and Origami, yeah. but from other companies that already exist, what are some real use cases you've seen of DAOs that properly kind of play into this creator economy? Actually, um, can I jump directly to Orange sure. DAO? Yeah. So we have a program at Orange DAO, um, which is called the Fellowship Program. And it is a precursor to uh, a seed, t- seed stage startup. So I have a, um, let's say I'm a founder, I'm pivoting, or I'm um, left my company, I'm looking for some idea. I need a, I need some time and money to like learn Web3 before I can actually pivot into it. The fellowship offers that. That program was voted on by our members and authorized by our members to actually go fund founders. So we actually just graduated a class of 10 fellows. Um, I think one of them just got into YC. And so this is a way of funding higher risk proposition than what um, venture capitalists are willing to do because a DAO is willing to invest in the people and they have different expectations of return than venture capital. What are the expectations of return? Great question. I actually don't know. The proposal didn't say it. <laughs> right? So this is, this is like the weird part of being this a DAO. This is the part of being in a DAO. Okay. And how many, how many members? Uh, there are 1,300 members in a DAO. And this is the Orange DAO. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. An Orange DAO, if I'm not mistaken, is a DAO for YC founders. So uh, of the 1,300 members, the vast majority, 90-some percent, um, are or, uh, uh, YC founders. Got it. Um, and then a few are like XYC staff and founders of YC-backed companies who didn't go through the program. Mm. And you, you were a YC mm-hmm. company before you started this. Yeah, I'm a YC founder. I actually worked at YC prior to this. Okay. Uh, prior to that. Oh, you worked at YC? Yeah, so uh, I was uh, on a, a moonshot project called New Cities uh, when Sam was uh, president. Mm. Yeah. What was that? Uh, it was to build a, rethink how cities get built. Yeah? Yeah, a little, like, just not ambitious at all. Just a tiny <laughs> little project. <laughs> and what came out of it? Yeah, so. Uh, Wait, are you saying that's more ambitious than the cat meme? Because. <laughs> Impact, because he changed me. Like, imagine the world without memes, and then imagine the world without cities. A world without metaverse is not one. Yeah, so there's a metaverse, right? So you don't need that, but you need memes in the metaverse. Yeah, I mean, memes are the in-game currency of life. Oh, that's (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. But but seriously, like, what was this concept of cities? We have, all cities are, I think it's hilarious that you guys took the sip at the same time. <laughs> um, cities are built around transportation infrastructure. They're, they're usually like on coastlines, rivers, um, railroad, like uh, junctions and things like that. Um, so we're like, okay, with drones, autonomous cars, what changes? Can we, does, does it fundamentally change the way cities should get built? That was the original question. It's like, mm. how do we build better cities um, that serve its inhabitants? And then it became a much narrower problem on, holy crap, we have a housing crisis in the Bay Area. And how do we build like urban apartment buildings better, faster, cheaper? So it became a startup called Social Construct, which unfortunately died with the pandemic. But that was, I left 
YC as an employee and then joined um, or started my company and got funded and went through Y Combinator, the program. Gotcha. So, and you're a journalism major. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What's that? What? How what do you do all what? this stuff? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I've been, uh, I've been talking to my therapist about this <laughs> for real and okay. as a joke. I like living in the frontier. Like life is more interesting when you realize like you only have one life to live. Like you kind of don't want it to be boring. Mm. I'm, I'm probably the flip side of that. I'm probably like way too ADHD and like trying new shit all the time. But um, it's, it teaches you a lot. And like every time I do a company, I realize the lessons I'd learned from the previous ones always apply. Mm. And so like, I'm just like rolling my, you know, skill set and experience forward. Interesting. I'm still stuck on this concept of new cities. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. In your mind, what is an ideal city that solves this problem mm. of, of drones and transportation? Are there any cities that exist? That there already do there isn't one. Uh, we, um, right now we're at a stage where um, population is actually going to peak. Still, 50 to 75% of the population of the world still doesn't really live in like dense urban areas. If you think about the amount of carbon that's generated by having to move people around long distances, right, or if inefficient buildings, it's, you know, a huge percentage of the carbon that we produce. And so if you create dense, walkable cities with good public transportation infrastructure, you have an enormous impact on um, carbon emissions. How would you grade San Francisco as, as a city? Uh, from an infrastructure perspective, yeah. um, poor to really poor. Oh, okay. I mean, Bart, Muni. Yeah, except the rest of America is like almost I was going to say, way worse. what's the scale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. So if you, if you yeah. think about it globally, like we're near the bottom in terms of like good public infrastructure. Yeah. Um, if you think about the United States, we're near the top. Mm. But, but what makes good public infrastructure? Is it cleaner? Is it better routes? Um, it's safer, reliable. Okay. Um, the fact that you can't expect to get on a BART reliably is a huge problem for mm. BART itself, right? Because people, fewer people use it. So you end up with this like, uh, 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 what do you call it? Um, um, Self-reinforcing loop. Better services increase ridership when she increase funding for better services, mm. right? And we're going through the opposite problem right now because of the pandemic. What do you think about the subway system in New York? Is that at the top or is that also near the bottom? Uh, it's a great network. Um, I don't know why it's so dirty. <laughs> Like the actual subways. Yeah. Um, I think generally you know, the United States has a uh, cultural um, violence problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it, I think we, it's hard to trust people when you are new. And as a country, it's a very young country, right? And so mm -hmm. if you go to older countries, so if you go to like, I just came back from Seoul, actually. I'm, it's like 4 a.m. Seoul time. I mean, it's... Uh, their public transportation infrastructure is like insanely good. Like everything's orderly, but they've also had a culture where it's been the same homogenous group for like thousands of years. And so mm. they trust each other mm. here. You know, the, the foundation of trust needs to get built, right? The fact that we are all from different places, different ethnicities, different you know cultures that we came together. That's our strength. That really is our strength. Yet we need to gel together as a society to say, we're going to look out for one another. So you must hate Los Angeles. I actually think Los Angeles is on a tear right now. They're actually doing pretty well. How? They're getting better and better. I, I think they've got a massive homeless problem like us. They're, they're actually building more small communities at the little like neighborhoods. So it used to be LA was just sprawl. Yeah, right? yeah. And then now LA is actually densifying into like clusters. And those clusters are getting better. And then they don't have to travel out as much? I, I'm saying with the transit, right? It's oh, like yeah. Well, LA is investing in uh, their metro system. So their rail system's getting better. Like mm. they had an amazing tram system prior to the 1950s and then they ripped them out. 
Yeah. If you like, I'm sure you guys read this, but like the the fact that they took out hundreds of tram lines is like devastating. Hmm. And that we're, we're just like going back to that. So then what's your thought on the Hyperloop? Oh, uh, um, if it happens, it'll be amazing. If right. It Cause if it happens, if it happens there, um, there's a long tradition of California just messing up high-speed transit. It's just like we're California's building high-speed rail. They're building like a little segment, I, I think it's like in the Central Valley somewhere, and it's costing like billions and billions of dollars. And the Hyperloop can be a solution um, that doesn't cost as much. That's the hope. Mm. So if, if I like, okay, in some idealistic world, you were given $100 million to throw out a problem, right? You're, you're told to build a city somewhere in the Bay Area, just so that, I mean, a lot of our audience is based in the Bay Area. Let's say like a, a micro-community, so even mm. easier, right? Yeah. What's well, like, okay, maybe you need shops, you need houses. Like what, what things do you need to build a very like MVP of a community? So first of all, I've learned that $100 million in terms of city building is like nothing. It's like, it's like mist. It's never a drop in the bucket. It's like humidity. But well, yeah, we lowballed you first. We didn't. We, we need to see what. Yeah, it's like you need to prove to us. I'm trying to highball you, you guys right you guys, now. Like, give me a little more money here. Okay? Yeah, Hundred billion. I, you came back. We literally said, "How about this?" And he's like, ah, "I can't do anything with that." No, no, I can, I can do stuff with it. I'm just saying, you know, we're, it's a negotiation. Yeah, you know, I, we gotta we gotta work on the cap a little bit. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's start with 100 million. What would I do with 100 million? I would start looking at existing high density neighborhoods um, and start to add transit to them. Yeah, so like India Basin, uh, not India Basin, um, Mission Bay. Yeah. Uh, it's too new to have any real character, but living there actually is pretty good because there's rail, there's, it's by the water. It's actually relatively high density. Like it's, uh, it's an example of what will be a really great neighborhood in the future. Maybe not in our lifetime, but people are going to Mission Bay at some point, like maybe our kids will go there and go, wow, look at this amazing old neighborhood. Right. They've got like shops and they've got people watching the streets and they've got public transit. Wow. It could be like this everywhere else. Mm. Things move really slowly in infrastructure, but there are examples like that around the United States. Um, some friends of mine, another YC company called Cul-de-Sac is building a um, carless community in of all places in Arizona. Wow. I've seen. Yeah. And it's really cool because th it's like this like island of car free areas. But if you've ever lived in a car free uh, neighborhood, you'll notice that it is much quieter that you actually know your neighbors that it's actually safer because there there are more eyes looking at the street is that a thing in like europe or asia yeah yeah okay. very much so okay. so what do people use golf carts to get around they walk they walk man are you a fan of like the bird and the lime scooters yes. in terms of infrastructure yeah because you you have to fit all the gaps between walking and flying right the world's most efficient safest infrastructure for transportation is flying the world's most safest low speed infrastructure is walking mm. and for every single like gap in between we have to figure out how to actually fill that and a, and a car free neighborhood doesn't just say we're going to get rid of cars what it's saying is cars are not the right tool for all the stuff in between cars and walking let's figure out how to uh, create infrastructure for all the stuff in between including bikes and hoverboards and you know birds mm. but that'll never happen because the auto industry would never let you do that here right I'm an entrepreneur I don't believe in never yeah. How, how are you going to lobby them? I guess um, you got to do something. I, I, so anytime an entrepreneur takes on a problem, I think you've got two, two options. One is full frontal assault and the other is the workaround. Hmm. Usually the workaround works way better, faster, cheaper than the full frontal assault. And so the question isn't how do I lobby against the auto industry? It's how do I get the other uh, uh, interested parties to support what I'm doing 
versus it, hmm. what the auto industry is doing. Is that what you think, like which one do you think Uber did? Uber totally took the hack, right? They, they didn't take on the taxi industry uh, head on. Hmm. They actually built a limo industry. Call taxis prior to Uber, right, were, yeah. were considered limos. I remember actually like having a driver that I would call on a regular basis who would take me to the airport. Like the guy knew my name. I'd what do you like, mean? So it wasn't a taxi? It wasn't a taxi. So like I, I'd have to like wait and call, like I've like hail down a cab. Yeah. Right. So I was living in Seattle and, and so it's not very dense. So like there's zero chance that I can hail down a cab when I need sure. to go to the airport. So I'd like t- Texas guy be like, yo, Brian, pick me up. I'm usually going, you know, like this is my flight. Okay. Like, cool. I'll yeah. be there. That got, that got replaced by Uber. Taxi didn't get replaced by Uber. I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, bird scooters kind of went the full, like the first version, right? Because they just put their scooters everywhere across SF. I think they got banned for a bit. Um, full frontal assault. Yeah. Much more expensive. Are they right? still around? I think so. I mean, yeah. Lime's definitely taken over. Uh, Spin's taken over. Yeah. So I think I saw Lime outside. Yeah. Because they raised so much money, right? All of them, like hundreds of millions. Yeah. All their valuations just went down too. So. Ah. The pandemic killed most of it, right? Mm. But it didn't help that they did the full frontal assault and then San Francisco banned them. Yeah. So if you're now to go, you know, with all this experience you, you had from this first neighborhood type startup, yeah. if you were to start again, what would you do differently? I, I have a lot of respect for all the hardware entrepreneurs out there, but I wouldn't do a hardware company, which is exactly what I didn't do, right? I started a uh, crypto DAO software company. <laughs> it's, uh, you don't realize how painful um, cut and paste is when you have to move like a ton of literal physical wood, right? You're like on your keyboard, you're like cut, paste code. The yeah. equivalent in hardware is like get a forklift. <laughs> <laughs> so have you, okay. We talked a little bit before you like to read. Yeah. Have you read build tone. I think his name's Tony Fidel. <laughs> I think I've heard of this guy. He's I, iPhone. I, yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't read his book. Okay. Yeah. One of the things he talks about is, you know, when people come up to him and they're like, Oh, you're this hardware guy. Cause you built like the iPhone. And they come up to him with, with, with concepts for hardware startups. He usually says, um, why are you building a hardware startup? Can you make it software instead? Yeah. I guess you draw a lot of parallels to that. I do. Um, so Social Contract, uh, the construction company, was actually both software and hardware. So the idea was, if you had a bunch of Lego blocks and your software could take any design and create like a 95% cop, like perfect fit um, using software, what would the hardware look like? And so they were supposed to work in tandem. So yeah, you, I think software makes hardware better. Mm. And so you have to think about both together or just think about the, I guess the question of what is the problem and defining the problem correctly usually is the first step to being a good entrepreneur. Because if you don't identify that problem correctly, you're either going to spend too much money or just wander around too long or just not get product market fit. What was the problem you were working towards when you started Origami? For origami. So Origami is uh, the DAO operating system for the most scalable communities out there. Um, the problem was that DAOs were really difficult to build and get off the ground. And so we're very much focused on the zero to one launch part of what a DAO is. And so we realized that it wasn't just about the software. It was about the advice, the, the documentation, the legal um, framework, all the stuff that came before the software. The software ties everything together, right? But it wasn't about shipping a product it was about how do we solve this problem that our customers are having, mm. which is they don't really, they want to build a DAO. They know what a DAO is, but they don't know any of the thousand steps between I haven't started one to how do I get a community to actually start activating inside a DAO. If I want to start a DAO tomorrow, let's say basic, it's been done a million times before, but it's for builders who are between the ages of 16 and 25. Okay. Based in San Francisco. 
Okay. That's all I have. Now, how do I go build a doubt from that? All right. So the questions that we ask are, uh, one, uh, do you have a real business model? In other words, how does the DAO get value into its treasury? Because the governance token of a DAO controls how that treasury is spent. So without some value going into that treasury, there's no value to the DAO other than just a bunch of people hanging out on Discord. Mm. Okay, that's actually really interesting. So now let's say I want to pivot the idea entirely. Now it's these 18 to 25-year-olds. He's, he's learning fast. <laughs> <laughs> now these 18 to 25-year-olds are building a physical space in San Francisco. Yeah. So now there's a goal to work towards their, you know, co-working membership opportunities. Like there are ways to actually, you know, as, a, as an event space, people could come in and pay to host events. Now there's actual monetization. Yeah. Now how do I go from zero to one? Okay, so the first thing you have to do is um, you have to start building a community. Who are the real true believers? They're doing it again with the whole coffee drinking. It's, this is awesome. Uh, I was watching the first time you said it, I tried to not time it. And we still, is that the second time we did that? You know when you get an Uber and you like lower the window just a little bit and the driver will like lower it? <laughs> right? It's, it's like, I don't know that they're doing it on purpose, but I'm just like, it's my little remote control. So You're know. very perceptive because I don't think anyone else I've is. Never. Ever it is literally attention. in unison with the same cups. How do people not notice this? Okay. So. Well, you're an architect, so. So, okay. So, How is that relevant? <laughs> what? I don't know. I'm a journalism He's major. a journalism architect that somehow found Web3. Uh, and and is, made memes. Yeah, and made memes and is now like an expert in all these things. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm very wide, not very deep. Um, so, okay. <laughs> what, what are we talking about? We're talking about how can we build a DAO. Right. How can we build a DAO? <laughs> My actual full-time job. Um all right, so you start building a community. You want to find your tribe. So the way I describe a DAO is that it's an economic tribe. So you can take an existing network of people who are loosely affiliated, like an alumni group, let's say the Stanford alumni, and you can say, hey, you know how we used to like pass along leads or like sales or like um, help one another? Yeah. We can actually create a community that captures that economic value. So I would start out with, who are the people I want in my economic tribe? Who are the core members? We're going to help me actually govern and build and recruit more people for it. Okay. So um, like a multi-level marketing scheme? <laughs> oh so that's what you just said. Right. I mean, every 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 community requires, you know, recruiting. <laughs> he just, he literally just did the, he's like, now <laughs> identify yeah, right, these right. guys. And then so the difference, I want to point out the difference, is that you're not committing to giving each other money. You're giving the community uh -huh. a control over its treasury. And so Got it's more it. like a collective, uh, a cooperative, right? Okay. You know, like, like a co-op, yeah. like a co-op, living Very in a co-op. So. Okay. so to keep the story going, now I found some guys off Twitter, you know, 10, 20,000 followers. Like they have a decent like audience. Yeah. They know, they kind of know what they're doing. Now what's next? I have this like community. Yeah. Um, and then you have a business model around how you're going to make money. Okay. Now you need to create an incentive system. Why do I, as a member, care about the tokens in the DAO? Or why do I care about the services that are being provided in the DAO? What are you going to give me for my time and my work? Right? So is it more governance tokens because I have, I want a bigger say in how the treasury gets spent? Or is it um, actual, like a security-like instrument so that I can actually earn a return? And so that is the incentive model that you have to design. Right? So somebody's going to manage, let's say, the space that you're going to rent out. What does, what does that person get? Are they going to get paid in dollars? Do you have enough like stable coins to actually pay that person? So you're going to start designing that, that economic structure of it. And do DAOs, obviously, they don't raise money through the traditional VC routes. A lot of them do crowdfunding mirror, like through Mirror. Right? Some do, actually. A lot. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're seeing... So Origami actually just announced a program where we're providing uh, $20,000 in seed funding through um, Orange DAO. 
so the DAOs can actually get off the ground. So the very difficult part is like a DAO doesn't really have like a investable entity the way startups do. Right. And so we're helping guide people through that process. Mm. What is that process? Because you can't use Stripe Atlas. Yeah. So um, you want to set up a, a, a an entity like an LLC or a cooperative or a nonprofit foundation or somebody that can actually accept those funds and issue tokens in exchange. Right. So now that you have an entity like an LLC, then the LLC can open a bank account. Oh, gotcha. Then you can use Stripe Atlas. So... Um, a lot of DAOs that we work with actually are not raising money directly from its members, right? It's got a revenue model and it's asking people for um, sweat equity, right? Or some kind of like um, pitching in so they can actually earn a bigger share of the tokens. Is that the best way to distribute like equity in the DAO? Yeah, so it's not the same thing as equity, right? Because these are not securities. Or some, some are, some DAOs are, but um, how do you reward people, mm-hmm. right? Rewards can come in terms of financial upside, social upside as well as control. And so what DAOs are starting out with is social upside and control until the securities law gets clearer. And there have been like horror stories, right? Of of just foul play in this in this industry. How do you how do you any any stories I that mean, stick pick, out? How, which which one are you talking about? There's so many to choose. I from. mean just DAOs. Yeah. Like um, is is there a lot of DAO ones too that are bad? So there are a couple of DAO issues that we've seen crop up. One is um mob like behavior. So, yeah. uh, you know, I won't, I won't mention names, but a bunch of DAOs have done deals with outside partners and then decided that they didn't like the deal anymore and cancel it. But yeah. they voted to, to basically renege on the deal. And that's, that's not cool. That's not going to build a reputation for you. Yeah. Um, and so there's that type of bad behavior. And then the other type of um, risk, uh, we saw a regulatory ruling against a DAO saying that there were um, illegally trading features and options uh, on a platform. Um, these are the early stage pains of how DAOs are going to get built. I think they made a lot of mistakes along the way. And so our goal at Origami is to help them, help guide people so that they don't make these mistakes. Mm. So if you're going to end up accidentally issuing a security, you should make sure that you talk to a lawyer beforehand before you do that. Um, if you're clearly not issuing a security, then you don't have to do all this other crap that other people do to make them more efficient. And so our advice is to help them kind of separate the two and say, hey, you're going down a path that's actually high risk right? Or you're going down a path that's actually way lower risk, or you can actually design the token in a way that is not a security. And this is how you avoid it. People just lack the context there. um, And also the confidence because lawyers are always going to tell you that there's some risk. Mm. Do you you also see like this association with like DAOs and crypto and just Bitcoin and the uncertainty? Like, do you see that that as a, as a negative or more of like, well, we have to keep educating so it doesn't just get lumped in? Yeah. So I was actually really afraid of that like several months ago uh, when uh, like the, uh, the first part of the crypto crash happened. Yeah. It turns out that when people think about DAOs, they really think about community-based control. Um, and crypto just happens to be the technology that we use to enable that. Mm-hmm. And so the number of DAOs that we've been working, uh, that we're working with actually has, has continued to go up and to the right uh, because people are really concentrating on the community factor and how do we actually co-own something or co-control something together. I also think that because we've been kind of pounding the table on compliance and making sure that like people don't you know violate the, violate the law accidentally, that that's helped us a lot. But that's where the real value is, is once you have a network and you have network effects for a community of people, now you can do things that are much, much greater than just a small group, right? So Orange DAO, one of our values to our portfolio companies um, is that we can help validate your idea faster. 
because there's mm. all these entrepreneurs who've been around the block and we can give you feedback and they're probably going to be doing it in a way that's much more critical, that's looking at the product in a, uh, an entrepreneurial way versus just a customer. Mm. So if you were to now start like a Dalfer Consulting, so to speak, a very... They exist, by the way. Actually, yeah. So there's a there's a handful of DAOs. They're they're usually categorized as like research DAOs, and what they do is they combine like a group of people together and say, we're gonna collectively create a research report based on demand, and we will sell them, and and we will or we will do consulting, and that money will be split between the consultant and the DAO's treasury. Mm. And then apart from this kind of I don't know, like this benefit of large like large numbers of of people being part of a DAO, what are the other benefits as opposed to like Okay, now I have this like group again to our, our previous example. I have this group of smart people on Twitter. Yeah. Why should I make a DAO instead of just incorporating and giving everyone equity? What do they do to earn that equity? And how, why are you the person to decide? For, for the sake of this example? Well, so the that's the thing, right? Look, this is where the rubber meets the road. So okay. uh, there's theoretically possible organizations, and then there are the realities. If we're in a group of researchers and we're going to publish a bunch of papers sure. around whatever, I want to know that the compensation is fair. So the, there's a there's a process to deciding how that should work. Is it 80-20? Do I get 80% of the money and the DAO gets 20%? Like who gets to decide that? It used to be everything was centralized top down. Yeah. Somebody who is whoever, well, for whatever reason at the top, decided that that's the way things going to be. In a DAO, we can all vote. We can say for the next season, any report, any dollar we generate, you know, 80% will, uh, 60% will go to the person and 40% will go to the DAO. And it's because we all voted and we're the we're the worker ants of the community, there's a moral authority to that decision-making. I might have voted for a different number, but you know what? We do this as a community together. So I'll do the 60-40 split. Gotcha. And then mm -hmm. when it comes to people who are establishing DAOs, sometimes you'll see instances where the founding team, so to speak, or like the early members of the DAO have a lot more token equity. Yep. And so their vote means a lot more than an average member of the community or someone who joins later. Yeah. What are ways to... Um, so I want to clarify one thing. It's not equity per se. Um, usually they're not equity because they're not um, a shareholding structure, right. but just token holdings in general, gotcha. right? I think inequality is just a feature of the system. The question is, how do you mitigate the negative impacts of inequality? If you're the founders of a DAO and you put in sweat equity early, you're going to get more tokens because that's the nature of how starting things and taking risk works. Risk reward happens uh, with uncertainty in time. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Orange DAO, for example, has adopted quadratic voting. In other words, um, every subsequent token that a person holds will have lower impact on voting uh, on a proposal than uh, somebody would like fewer number of tokens. In other words, if you're a whale, your votes count less than one-to-one. -one. Yeah. So, so these are... Questions about mitigating the downside impact of inequality, it is not about just redistribution of tokens or flattening who owns what. If you think about how nature has like these design patterns over and over again, and this goes back to my favorite book you're going to ask me later about, I'm just reading your mind. Um, <laughs> power laws exist over and over again, right? No matter what you do, power laws where one per the top 1% has an outsized share of an ecosystem. Yeah reoccurs and nature just has like baked it into statistical distribution. Um, so fighting that is going to be very ineffective. Mm. Right. So this is don't do frontal assaults. What's the, what's the workaround, right? Mm. Quadratic voting. Interesting.
So before we get to your favorite book, I want to switch over into, uh, I think, a more personal line of questioning. Yeah. So I want, I'm curious to know what it was like growing up in an immigrant household for you to go on to do the things that you've done. Because it's very non-traditional. Yeah, yeah. Um, unlike most Asian families, my parents didn't actually like pressure me to be a doctor or an engineer. Uh, maybe they should have. I was going to ask, yeah. <laughs> Like, how are you? Is it, were you so you were just interested in just like I guess media writing? I was creative? I was a nerd. I, let's let's be honest. Right, I I moved around schools a lot. So like you know I would make friends and like a year later I would have I would have to switch schools. Mm -hmm. And so that was like we weren't like a military family or anything. It just so happened that that was how we um how I grew up. So like I'm an introvert, and from this interview you probably would never get that sense. It is a severe adaptation for survival. If you make new friends every year, you mm -hmm. figure out how to actually like be an extrovert, at least, you know, be an only one. child. I'm an only child. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good pickup. So yeah. Um, so I would just have a lot of different interests. Like I would be exposed to lots of different stuff. And so, uh, that's where like being a nerd, like computers and media kind of came together. Like I was, I'm old enough uh, where I was like born into like the age of like digital publishing. Mm. So if anybody, if, if any boomers out there can recognize this Quark Express, does that ring any bells? Okay. Anyway, it's a desktop publishing tool. Um, and I was really good at it. And so that like got me into media and uh -huh. like publishing. Like uh, Adobe PageMaker, does that ring a bell? God. That, that I know. Yeah. Okay. I know that Adobe PageMaker. feel Maker. less bad. Yeah. He does. He is. <laughs> Adobe? That I know. Okay, good. Well, you <laughs> barely know Facebook. That's <laughs> true. That's true. No, it's, yeah. it's true. I, I, I have, I've had an account, but I haven't opened it in like If I was a doctor, I would like years. dissect your brain right now. Yeah. How does it work? Is that interesting, not knowing no. about Facebook? No. I mean, every generation of technology is just going to change, right? Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing. If everybody was, if everybody had to know old technology, we wouldn't be able to get new users and have a revolution in technology every like 10 years. Mm. It's true. It's true. And then so, okay, going back to you, were, you, you, you got into digital yeah. publishing. Yeah. And so that, that's what got me really interested in media. Um, I was actually really into visual design. Like, of course I can read, write and edit stuff, but like, that's like, as a, English is not my first language. And so that wasn't the interest for me. It was the visual part. It was the universal side of communication. Mm. Right. And so like the precursor to like UX design, like that's what I was into. And then you were like, instead of um, words and languages, cat memes. Can translate. How, yeah. How did you actually come up? Like, how, why? Why the cat? Yeah. So I didn't come up with that. So okay. uh, I was. Um, I ran like a personal blog about having a dog. Like literally zero traffic. It's like me and my wife. Those only you just two had a people. Dog. We, just, we had a dog, and we're like, I'm bored. I'm gonna like make sure I do something. Like right. I want to make sure I I output stuff that will actually get somewhere. Okay. And so I was like literally reviewing dog toys. How bad of a business is that? Wait, you were reviewing them? I was rev I was personally <laughs> reviewing. Wait, from the dog's point wait, of view? Wait, how would you? you <laughs> was the dog reviewing? Who's that? reviewing? Yeah, yeah. Because you need to translate the because the dog can't actually type. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, he wishes he had thumbs. Um, right. I was. I can't even remember. How would I mean, you review how the would, dog to us? You, you like, can bite into them. You know, you can eat dog food, right? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, oh, look, are you, are you are you committed to your craft or what? You're not even answering the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. I, I was like, how can you? you it's irrelevant. Like, well, you no one ever <laughs> saw it. Uh, it's it's like a tree falls into a forest. Who gives it? You know. So I was re doing this, and there was a pet food recall. Oh, thank God I didn't eat those. Uh, food. <laughs> so now you know the answer. Now you know. I didn't eat the dog food. This sounds so scary. 
I can't you, wait till like you. Well, have you you've explained this to other people, right? <laughs> <laughs> actually, no one's asked me this question. No. In the in the decades I've actually really? been in business, uh, yeah, no one has asked me yeah, if I personally more, reviewed that might them say or more if my about dog. Us, then. <laughs> <laughs> you have some really smart people interviewing you, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> And then there's us. The due diligence here is is, is I <laughs> respect, man. Like you're going deep. So I'm fast. I love dogs and animals. Yeah. And it's like I consider you the person who started memes oh, about thank you. this. Yeah. So, so it's like I'm like anything. This this, this <laughs> is like ahead. this is an entrepreneurial <laughs> <Go> journey. <laughs> Please go ahead. Just get us back. I, I give somewhere. up. Yeah. Where's the trail? All right. Let's get back on it. So there was a pet food recall and a bunch of dogs died and it was like big news and um, it was a white label food manufacturer. In other words, they made food for other companies. But what happened was that because there was this like massive negative PR, they took down their homepage. Okay. And I'm like, you take down your homepage? Ha, this is, this is piece of cake. I'm going to look at the cached versions of all of your links so I can figure out where your documents are. Oh. And of course, they didn't take down the documents. They just took out, you know, default.html. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, there's actually a PDF of all the companies that they uh, like worked with. And I published it on my personal oh. pet dog review product oh, blog. Because you got the company. Because I was alive because actually... I didn't eat the dog food. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, literally. So, oh. because they're killing dogs. And then it got picked up by all the press. Mm. Oh. It also got picked up by this guy in Hawaii named Eric uh, Nakagawa. He was the guy who started I Can't Ask Cheeseburger with his girlfriend. Okay. Um, he hot-linked an image. In other words, he served an image off of my server yeah. off of his page. So if you look at my server logs, it was just like all these calls from his domain. Mm. I'm like, motherfucker. So I emailed him like, yo, you gotta stop this. Like, you're literally like blowing up my server bill. Yeah. Like, don't be a dick. Mm. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I was just in a hurry. I'll put it on my site. And I was like, I just talked to a guy who has like a million times more traffic than I do. Maybe I shouldn't tell him to fuck off. Maybe I should actually like ask him if he needs any help. Mm -hmm. That was it. That's how the whole thing got started. And then I ended up buying the site from him with a bunch of investors. Because I got wow. I, I get access to his Google Analytics. And I was like, oh my uh, God, this guy's like printing traffic. But he didn't know what to do with it? Like, yeah, he's he like, understand. I don't, it, it, he hit lightning in a bottle. Um, He's a smart guy. He uh, uh, works at uh, Cello now. Um, and we've been friends for a long time. And at the time, it was like overwhelming. It was like, dude, this is like way too much. I need help. So I was helping him out, yeah. all that stuff. So what are you saying to investors in a room about buying a, a meme site? Or yeah. Whatever it was? Yeah. So most investors do not understand the new thing that you're doing, right? Because right. most investors are generalists. Like they know a little bit about the world mm. and they're trying to figure out if home shopping is going to be a thing if, you know, DTC mattresses are going to think. They're not experts in any of this, right? And if you ask the expert, they will, they will tell you a million ways why it wouldn't work. And so the thing to focus on isn't the crazy part. Yeah. It's the, look, I understand that you don't understand what these cap captions of cat pictures are, but look at the traffic. Yeah. Traffic okay. is a thing they understand. You can monetize the traffic. So let's go buy it based on the traffic. What about brands though? Because I, I come from traditional media and, and advertising and they're always worried about safety and, oh, I don't want to put this there and this can potentially happen as a scandal. Like how did you, how are those early conversations? It was a hundred times worse back then. Yeah. Because no one knew what a, what a, you know, 
user generated content thing was and mm. so they were very they were like what if um what if we don't like the content that's, that's next to it and people yeah. made this and I, you can't control the people who make it i'm like but i can control what gets posted yeah right and so you again go back to the thing they know what's the analogy right and yeah, so yeah. this is this is just editorially curated list of humor pieces of content and you are next to uh, something that a human being that works for us has reviewed. Mm, okay. What do you think about decentralized social platforms where it's like no one has editorial? Yeah. Um, I looked at a couple of designs. Um, I was working on some of the designs for this earlier on. I was trying to figure out like what would a meme engine for like, you know, Web3 look like? And uh, you, you have to separate the social um, media infrastructure into a few pieces. One is filtering. Right, so that's the part that people are worried about. You can't you can't stop anyone from posting anything, right? Even today, you can't stop anyone from posting anything yeah. to Twitter. It's a, it's that Twitter like fills in this black box between I posted something that shouldn't be up there to I'm seeing something, and so what you can control is the part that's filtering. And so if you are doing filtering today on Web three, you can actually use tribal knowledge, tribal systems like DAOs to create filters. Right, so if a DAO, so let let's say there's a publisher DAO, and a bunch of us writers uh, or content creators decided to join this DAO, and we're gonna promote and help edit the pieces of content that we all create. So you created this podcast, you're gonna post an episode. Let's say something happens on it, and the community decides that they don't like what's being said. Mm. They can't censor you. Again, it's the blockchain; anybody can post anything. You can still do that anyway. What they can say is. We disavow this piece of content. We will now downrank it in our algorithm. Ah. The tribe has spoken. Mm. Oh, what, did I just make a survivor reference? Okay. <laughs> anyway, so you're kicked off the island. You're not a part of this DAO anymore because they're like, we don't believe in your views. You can join a different DAO. Oh, but kicked. I thought you just meant they suppressed the, that specific piece of content. They can't suppress the content. They can, they can say, kick you out. They can kick you out. Or they can say, we are actually going to delist this from our recommended filter. So the filtering happens at the community level. Uh-huh. Uh, this runs a high risk of filter bubbles. Yeah. In other words, like people who own, like people live in echo chambers, but um, it is a viable method of curating content. Would you would you do this in the future at some point? Because you have such a big content background, would you get into this? Uh, I'm kind of busy right now. <laughs> he kind of has like six other things. Well, I know. I'm saying I've got my McDonald's job. Uh, I'm interviewing at Wendy's because the market crashed. He, he barely, he's here because he didn't eat the dog food. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> I, I save my time for weird stuff. I actually, I, I am very interested in how this plays out. Yeah. So you see like Farcaster and Mastodon and other groups doing this. Um, I don't know where it's all headed, but these are like, if I think about Web3 and the building blocks of DAOs, community vote, um, decentralized publishing. These are how I would assemble the building blocks together to build the new social web. Yeah, because we're, we're super interested in the, in the future of content and just where this is going, especially yeah. for Gen Z. Right. So we're like, this system makes sense, but it's it seems it's I like- I see you, like you got crazy eyes right now. You're very just like, early. Ben, this makes sense. Well, I have another crazy analogy. It's not even crazy, but I have, I have another perspective I want to get you on, but I don't want, I want to make sure you- can we turn I'm off not his headphones? Cutting you off. No, no. No, you right. oh, thought so you didn't want to hear it. No. <laughs> okay. It's not a four-year-old. <laughs> I'm actually 14. You know would be cool that I want to get his dog who does the blogging oh, on, yeah. on the on the podcast yeah, next, next to get, yeah. How how it's like, hey, he wrote all this stuff about the toys. How was it really? 
Like, did so, you actually so how, like this toy? How, how, how was it inventing memes, Mr. Uh, dog? <laughs> it's like GPT-3 dog to English. <laughs> but are you are you a sports guy at all? That's happening soon. Um, really? Oh, is uh, it? A, a friend of mine actually in Orange Dow is working on a dog, AI-based dog translator. Whoa. Whoa. We invest? Let's ask him. Ooh. You should have him on next. Yeah. We might have to. Yeah. Him, anyway. and, him and a dog or just him? You should have him speak dog. <laughs> translate live. What does that mean? I don't even know. You said speak it's, dog. I, I'm just gonna like throw in a bunch of words like okay. MLAI. Blockchain. Okay. Uh, I'm blockchain. Yeah. I'm sold. No, it's uh, so fascinating, he's, dude. <laughs> you speak in like haikus almost. Uh, I speak in sound bites. You do. They're easily digestible. Yeah. But at the same time, they're like, it's like we're in your head when you speak, but you're not acknowledging that at all. So you're. <laughs> okay. I don't understand that, but. <laughs> okay. Okay. Back to real topic. Back to real topic. Are, are you a sports guy? Uh, used to be. Okay. I had a moral objection to professional sports, but we won't get into that. That's okay. another fast College for any, any specific. Uh, I mean, I went to Northwestern, so oh, okay. we had 50 years of pain. Okay. Uh, Northwestern. Can't do much in Northwestern, but it's okay. Are, yeah, are you how, how do you the think Bay a man area? who's down? Uh, sort of. I went to high school in Sacramento. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. oh Cordova. My roommates all went to high school in Sacramento. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why does everyone say that? Have you everyone? been there? No. Okay. It's really nice now. They got leather bees. <laughs> what is that? Is that a restaurant? It's amazing. It's uh, ice cream. It's an ice cream place. Yeah. Ice cream. They have an ice cream. That's how you. Uh, <laughs> um, now it's I called Cowtown. Like the, the uh, insult was like you'd ring cowbells when you come from Sacramento. Oh, so like like Napa's here, they have Cowtown. Wait, what? Na- what? Like Napa Valley to San Francisco, and then you have imagine Cow- Napa Valley, uh, Napa Valley without the nice wineries. But it's like ice cream instead. Yeah, and WalMarts and sweatpants. At least that was the reputation when I grew up. But now it's gotten a lot better. I'm gonna sorry. I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail. Well, you're gonna get a lot of hate mail for me. We oh, love yeah. Sacramento. We love Sacramento. <laughs> but can this? Can you own a sports team through this through yes. a DAO? Yeah, so there's actually several DAOs. And, um, and what's the restriction on amount of people? Like, when does this get too big? So it's like you said, if, right? You have a 1,300 members. Is is a million too much? Is half a million too much? Or does it even matter? It's a great question. So anytime you design a system, if you have a order of magnitude increase in number of users, it breaks a whole bunch of systems. Mm. Okay, so th- th- this is actually very true for startups. If you if you start a company and you have twenty five employees, the moment you get to fifty, like half half your stuff is broken, mm-hmm. right? Like communications doesn't work, like your HR doesn't work. The same thing is going to work for a DAO, except DAOs scale much faster. Yeah, right. And so we are we have to build a technology and we have to build the social norms so that people can behave in a DAO in a constructive manner. Mm. If you threw in a million people into a DAO today, it would be an absolute clusterfuck. Right? Yeah. Um, like Constitution DAO, it was actually a great project, but the number of people that owned the Constitution DAO tokens mm. was insane, right? Because it was such a crowdfunded system. Yeah. They didn't have the infrastructure to support them. And then the project failed and then token prices spiked. Like, how does that happen? Like, what mm. the heck? No sane individual will look at it and go, well, that was the right thing to, to do, right? Like, th- the right thing happened. Yeah, yeah. It was no fault of the organizers, but. Again, we as a community and society don't know how to work with endows yet. We're still learning. Mm. But it sounds like you've thought of it. When you said immediately, when I said sports, you said yes. There, 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 I would say there are half a dozen DAOs that I know of that are working on buying teams. With how many, any, any specifics on? 
Uh, well, I can't mention the targets because then the no, 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 not in terms of teams, but in in terms of how it would work because it would clearly not be as in everyone gets an equal share of the vote. Right, right. right. So, um, I don't want to put anybody to sleep because it gets really complicated into like the details of how they work. Yeah. But generally speaking, there's a company that's raising money from like professional investors to buy the team. Okay, and then there's a community of people whose job is to support that effort, mm. and that community gets a piece of the action. But that community, like a token, so they yeah. get the token. The token's yeah. like the control over the piece of the action. The yeah. piece of the action goes into the DAO, yeah, and the tokens govern that DAO. Got it. Right. So let's say there's a let's say you know somebody ended up buying uh, uh, the the giants. Yeah. Um, and the giants, let's say, uh, uh, made a profit, and the DAO got half the profits. Okay. Now, if you are a ticket holder to the giants, you may actually get a profit rebate. Just by being a ticket holder. Just by being, yeah. Right. So that's like the mechanism. Like somebody else owns the team, uh-huh. right? And maybe the DAO has invested in the same structure. Yeah. But the question is, what do you do with a large community of people that exist today that you can actually benefit the group more so than what's happening in traditional finance, uh-huh. which is the owners get everything. Yeah, like, yeah. If you think about sports, the fans are the value. Yeah. Right, the fans drive the ticket sales, the advertising eyeballs. That you spend create- so much money and get no say in the personnel decisions. I get no say in things I probably know better than than the guys <laughs> doing it. I'll say it. I I, sp- I probably spend more time than most GMs looking at my own team. So so this is where you start to leverage the community, the power of community. And if you think about how that would work, is once the value gets created and is given to the community for control, why the heck would you go back to the older model of giving money yeah. and value away to somebody else? Mm. That's the virality of DAOs. Like once you realize that the community can actually capture value where there was none before, you're like, well, that seems unfair. The previous system is all of a sudden not fair. Okay. So you do see this being viable in, in the future? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're working with actually uh, a group right now that is doing that. They're They're going to create a DAO. They're going to raise money to actually go buy uh, one or more sports clubs. And it's going to be an entire formula. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I missed out the part where you explained this, but assuming it goes through and now there's this group of people that own a, let's just say the Jets, right? Yeah. How do you know that these people know what's best for the Jets? Or like, what if they're just some guy that has no idea about sports, but he has the money to be one of the bigger contributors? Mm. Yeah. So this is where um, professional management comes in. So the DAO is not a direct democracy. Some DAOs are uh, when it's a small number of people. But once you get more than 100 people, direct democracies don't work. Like you're not going to have a vote on like uh, which brand of hot dog to serve at the game, right? Yeah. It's just like stupid, right? So how do you actually give the right to control something to the right people who know what to do? And how do you like make sure that they're doing their job? Yeah. So the right to manage the team uh, is going to be assigned to a company Right, that hires the general manager and hires the back office. Gotcha. And that's how I assume Orange Dow works. You you have to approve someone to come in, like you guys do an evaluation process. Um, well, the the, the membership quality uh, qualification for Orange Dow is um, YC former YC or founders of YC back companies and staff. Yeah. So okay. there th- there's that part. But that's all, so it's already it's already screened. defined. It's already defined. That's but, right. But we can do that. Back to your thing. In terms of the sports thing, maybe it's just season ticket holders, maybe, right? Yeah, exactly. There's some sort of pre-screening, right? What What, economic activity are you doing that's going to qualify you for membership in the DAO? And it has to be economic. Um, It doesn't have to be, but... But that's just the easiest way of doing this. Okay. Right, because like, you're you're like unionizing your like fan base. Uh, uh. That's a good idea. 
I wish I, I, I wanted to ask what team, because there's one up for sale in the NBA, which I am a fan of, and I'm probably giving this away, but uh, you you raise your eyebrows. I mean, there, there, there's so many teams out there. Like sports is a passion-driven business. Yeah. And if you can build a global sports franchise, like how would it work? I'll sell all my sports cards right now and just give you the money. Can you just give me a stake? And he has a lot of will, sports cards. I will connect you to the people who are doing this and they would uh, probably love to hear from you. I'm so glad you need the dog food. <laughs> <laughs> me Everything too. It comes back to the dog food. Me too. Um, yeah, the euphemism, like eat your own dog food. I did not know that one. Never, never heard that. Okay. Wait, it just eat your own dog food? So when you're building product, um, the, 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 the idea is Eat your own dog food means whatever you produce, you got to use it. Mm. Mm. But I got to where I am by not eating my dog food. Mm. There's always a counterpoint. So, so what's the best advice you've ever received relating to specifically? I think it'd be interesting to hear. Creative yeah, economy. this this is um, it's also very apt for the time right now. Things are never as bad as people make it uh, sound, and mm. um, you're never as good as you think you are. Interesting. And then what's the worst advice you've ever received? Oof, the worst advice. There's so many. How many did you choose from? This time it'll be different. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. There's like 0.001% chance it is different. That, and, and the irony is like, that's the entrepreneur's job. But as an investor, this time it's different is probably not to your best interest. Mm. Right? Do you also see that as a problem in founders? If the founder is like, oh, I'm, this is like a failing you know, industry or value prop, I'm going to be the one that changes it. Is that like a red flag? No, yeah. um, that, that's going to uh, ask me, ask, that's going to make me ask a whole bunch of more questions. Mm. Why? Okay. Why do you believe that it's going to be different this time? What is fundamentally changed in the world that says it'll work? Because it does work. Like yeah. people have tried to disrupt taxis and it turns out that didn't work, but Uber did by going after limos, mm. right? So it does work. So the question is like, what's the path? And if you can't justify that, if you can't communicate that clearly, you're not getting a check from us. And then going, going back on that question, any specific traits that you've seen? I mean, I'm sure you've talked to hundreds of founders at this point that you can be like, well, these two or three qualities is even, even if you have to pivot, even if the business is not working, like you're going to be a good founder and you're going to figure something out. Being a founder the second time around is always easier than the first time around. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, you just kind of like know what's important. Um, there's a saying uh, that first-time founders work on product, second-time founders work on distribution. Mm, interesting. This is probably like very inside baseball for startups. But like, so that tells you that once you've been around the block and you know how businesses work, you start to, it's not that the fundamentals are different. You, you kind of reprioritize them. Mm. Yeah. What's the um, best book you've ever read? What's the best Finally, book you've ever read? Finally, the question. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a book called Deep Simplicity. Um, I think the writer's last name is Gibson uh, and he's uh, like a science writer. Um, and it really talks about how there are patterns in nature that occur over and over again, right? So here's an example. If you look at the floor of a rainforest, like the Amazon jungle, um, at the very like fungus, like down at the, like the one inch level, it resembles the forest itself, mm. right? They, they look like a tiny little forest because of these mushrooms and things like that. Yeah. Um, the power law or the Pareto principle, 80-20 rule, these heuristics, these shortcuts in design or these simplified designs occur over and over again. And if you start to identify them in your work or in your life, you're like, oh, this system is unlikely to end up in 80-20 or 50-50. Mm -hmm. 
the system is much more likely to end up in a power law, then your job is to find like just the head of that power law to find the best companies in that group. Venture works in a power law system, right? Mm. Um, and so that's different than 80-20. Mm. So that okay. changes, like you can literally see generally what systems you, you should go after and, and you're designing something a little bit different because these heuristics tell you that they operate differently. Yeah. Have you used that in the way you design your life or like your day-to-day? There's a lot of different system designs there, um, mostly professionally. I did create, so one of the people that I really like reading is Charlie, uh, Charlie Munger, the other half of Berkshire Hathaway, and he's got a bunch of essays and speeches that you can read. Um, and he talks about this a lot, which is, he called it a, a, a mental lattice. Um, and the idea is that you take all these different concepts, um, things like human biases, and you can cross, cross-reference them. And yeah. so you, when you're talking to someone and you know that they have a vested interest in something that they're selling, right, there, there are these biases involved. And so you should know which ones they are so yeah. you can counteract them or at least acknowledge that they exist. Mm. Um, and there's like only about 100 of these systems that you really need to know. So I actually went and defined all 100 systems that I want to learn and memorize. And I created a little shortcut. Um, yeah. Wow. I spent, I spent like a year doing that. It's funny because the video of Charlie Munger and Buffett clowning Bitcoin is like, oh my god, surfacing now just after FTX, and they they have like two minutes FTX. on what what their thoughts on Bitcoin just being. Uh, they didn't refer to it as a Ponzi scheme, but he said more in terms of like it's dangerous when people are getting into it just to get rich quick. Yes, versus what they do, and it's like it's, and then Munger is like, oh, that's a nice way of putting it. Like my <laughs> my thoughts are way worse than Warren's. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you don't have to agree with them 100%. Like, I, I've used a technology, whereas I don't think they really have used a technology. They're yeah. looking from the outside in. It's like, I'm never going to trust anybody in blockchain who's never, like, you know, screwed up a transaction. But that's the problem, right? Like, people are associating this with the, almost, with the tech. Like, no one's separated it yet from, from the media. So it's like, do you see this as, like, it's just setting the industry back? So, so think about it from their perspective. The only thing that they care about is being an investor. They're the greatest investors on earth. Yeah. And so from them, price versus value matters. They're value investors. And so everything that they look at comes from the lens of, is this a good investment? Mm. When they're talking about Bitcoin, they're saying, I don't understand the inherent value in, in the blockchain. And to their credit, there really isn't one until you people start to build on it. That's why right. I'm like, you know, I'm like probably more of an ETH maxi than I'm a- I was going to say, is that an Ethereum thing Bitcoin more? Bitcoin isn't- yeah, the greatest. Bitcoin, there's a bunch of people working on it. I know them and, and they're going to get there. Um, I think it's a race to valuable blockchains. Mm. And so when I've used a technology and I understand the platform, that's what gets me excited. I get excited by the fact that my friends who are amazing builders are like, holy crap, this is the greatest thing since, you know, the internet itself. Yeah. Right. Okay. And we all have that like gut reaction and we've been around the block for a web one, two, and now three. Yeah. And so we feel that our gut instinct is right. The investor perspective is what it is. So we do this thing kind of at the end of every podcast where we go through your Twitter. Oh, God. I got, I got it. Please avoid tweets from the hours of 8 p.m. No, <laughs> no I, I, I got a few interesting ones. And, and you are you aware of Costco just in general? Been to Costco. Costco? Costco, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, grew up going to Costco. Well, you tweeted this. I don't know why you're asking. Oh shit! All right, yeah. <laughs> well, what you tweet? This is what you tweeted. You tweeted, "Can we put whoever is in charge of the Costco hot dog combo in charge of stable coins?" <laughs> I think you'd find this funny too, being in the industry. 
But this is this is not even the best part. So the guy comments under, this was like the top comment, which you might have not even read. He says, Luna equals Costco membership. Terra equals Costco rotisserie chicken. And Anchor equals Costco savings. Your guys' thoughts. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. That is not true. That we have found out. <laughs> you cannot algorithmically generate chickens <laughs> <laughs> to put in a rotisserie and sell it for like whatever it is that's selling at Costco or or hot dogs. Well, maybe you can algorithmically generate hot dogs. Um, no, I'm kidding. Sausage. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. I, I get that one. Thank you. Okay, I got that. Wow, one. we're ending on a high note right now. <laughs> I feel really great about my exit here. Oh, <clears throat> So maybe you can algorithmically generate crap and put it in a tube yeah. and sell it to people. I mean, rotisserie, chick- rotisserie chicken is like the flagship, right? Costco. Yeah, but the hot dogs, like the fact that it's dollar fifty. Yeah, you, you're it, that's saying like a combo. miracle. Yeah, and it's and they're telling us that it's not a loss leader. They don't lose money on it. How do you make money? They lose money on the chicken. That I know. Oh, okay, for a fact. Like, I'm like gonna if go you buy more chicken. If you I'm gonna arm that chicken. No, no, no. <laughs> if if you if you go in right. Yeah. Get the chicken and, and walk out. Yeah. You're killing them. Yeah, like your your EV, your positive yeah, 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 yeah. EV okay. every single time. Oh my god, I need to but set nobody, up a truck. Who can do that? Who can do that? I'm gonna go buy the chickens and sell it in a truck right outside of Costco. <laughs> I'm gonna arm see. the chicken. Why? Handedly what? destabilize. You're Costco. selling it for cheaper. What do you mean? No, for more. I'm gonna reduce. Oh, so you're taking all yeah, the supply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying yeah, yeah. you buy all the chickens in the morning. Oh, I'll have all the chickens and then just stand outside and sell the chickens. I think you can just do it right at like rush hour. Yeah. Time-based chicken value has different value. You know what's funny though? You're killing their business model because they want you to walk through all the shit to get the chicken. So I'm you're providing outside, convenience. But you're outside, you're sinking Costco. Five bucks more. You don't have to go through Costco. Five you don't have to go through Costco. You don't Costco. need a Costco membership to get Costco. <sighs> it's probably too much of an arm. That's not going to work. But you know, that's, that's what we do, right? We figure out how to get, make things more easy, easier and more convenient to people. Yeah. And you know, that's how you make money. Okay, I'll, I'll get to like more of a real one. It's okay to pay six figures for a JPEG and for it to be worth nothing more than a JPEG. Hashtag normalize digital assets. Yes, absolutely. you still feel that way. Yes, and it, you have you have basic you you have early like have you have early, apes. I have an ape. Yeah, I've got a few doodles. I've got a bunch of. Do you like the communities? You got a you? Uh, I I I'm not very involved in those communities. Um, but I like the fact that there is one that okay. I can join it. Like it's optionality for me. And do you like the IRL element? Because I know they, they did in New York, the, the Bay City, they, they, they had like the yachts. I'm sorry, Bay City, Board Ape Yacht Club. They had um, like parties. Yeah. They had yeah. members. I think like Lil Baby has one and yeah. Post Malone has one, but they performed. Like, is that the future? Is, is that the real value in these things? I don't think so. No. Um, digital value tends to be digital, right? So the, the, the physical interaction stuff, I think, is like cherry on the ice cream cake, whatever, whatever the saying is. Like it's it's the whipped cream plus the cherry on Yeah, yeah. Right. The the real value of this is actually status or um access provided by those JPEGs. Mm. But that's part of the one. status. Right. No? It, it the access sense. to events? Maybe. Uh well, so the access to events or access to other digital spaces or access to like future drops, future merchandise, exclusivity. Or even also okay. people knowing that you have access to those things. Like when you look at it from let's say web two, like Instagram, having a blue check was the biggest flex ever. People would fake their pictures in front of a private jet. <laughs> right. Blue checks are no longer yeah. flex. But um, oh, so you're saying like owning the? No. What I'm what I'm saying is like our entire lives really quickly shifted over to like your status is determined by what you put on the internet, mm. and now it makes sense that 
you know, this next evolution is a verifiable way to prove that your status is what you say it is. So you know the concept of a Veblen good? No. V-E-B-L-I-N. Um, it is one in which mo- most economic systems where if you produce a good and you produce, produce lots of it, the price will go down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a Veblen good is one in which the price of the goods go up because it's a luxury good that describes status. Yeah. And so it doesn't match supply and demand. Would that be like a watch, like a nice watch? Yeah, yeah. Like a Rolex or you know Louis Vuitton. Like there's these luxury goods that are that are Veblen goods, mm. where um, it's not. It literally the price indicates the 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 um, exclusivity. Yeah. Uh, there are a bunch of JPEGs that are Veblen goods, right? That's that's why the whole ten thousand you know profile photo thing exists to ex- make that an exclusive thing. And then it makes sense because now it's verifiable. You can't like you can buy fake Yeezys. Um, and sure, you could put a fake picture of an ape as your profile picture, but people will know it's not yours if they just, what is it? And you can, chain? you can license yeah. these now, right? Yeah, that's right. It's like they have, yeah. But it's like, that. that's like part of the narrative and it'd be interesting. And uh-huh. like the, the, you don't, somebody will make some money from licensing them, yeah. but 10,000 PFBs means that there aren't going to be 10,000 people that make money off of licensing a board mm-hmm. ape. It's going to be the fact that somebody Got got uh, got some media content out there, and that's going to appreciate the value of all of the collection, because now you own a part of this thing that became famous. Ah, okay, right. So the the community and its ability to actually do different things mm. adds value for everyone. Mm. But yeah, now the blockchain is doing that thing which we thought wasn't possible, or was was the opposite of the internet, where you could make endless copies of memes, and so the meme. The average photo is trending towards zero value mm. because there's so much supply of photos, except for these JPEGs, which should follow the price curve of all the other JPEGs in the world towards zero. Mm. But because of the blockchain, they've become a Veblen good. Yeah. Even the concept of verifiability is really interesting to me because when you think about it, like everyone that's alive right now, or I guess not the younger people, but most people that are alive right now have lived through the one time in history where video was a sure source of truth. Like uh-huh. in 2005, if you saw security camera footage, like that was that, it wasn't edited. Or if it was, you could tell. Yeah. But now with AI or even with video editing in the last three to four years, it's so easy to fake video content. Mm. Um, and it's no longer at a point where you can look at video and not wonder if it was edited or changed. Uh, I, I don't think it is. You're, I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think it is a coincidence that we're seeing the value of verifiability arrive on the internet at the same time as AI, mm. right? The moment you can produce endless amounts of high quality content that calls its authenticity into question, mm. this system that is the opposite, which is going to give you verified authenticity, will rapidly increase in value. Mm. Mm. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see how blockchain kind of plays into like verifiability of videos. Yeah, there's a bunch of people working on uh, chain of custody. In other words, mm. um, how do you bake into Figma the fact that you actually created that design. That's huge. Right? You can actually uh, put, you can do, do a, 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 a ZK roll-up of the actions that you've taken to create that um, web page or design yeah. and put it on chain. How would you describe ZK roll-ups in like layman's terms? Um, they stand for zero knowledge proofs. Right? Yeah, so you can compress all of the contents of a file and know that the file is valid without having to open it. And then how does that relate to Figma being able to see who 
authored a, or designed a document. So you can think of every action you take in Figma because everything's undoable, right? So there's a there's a chain chain of events that have occurred for yeah. you to place that pixel where it is. You can then compress that into effectively a zk rollup and say I can prove to you that I made that design. That's huge. Yeah, that's that's very important it's, for designers. It's, it's yeah, hundred percent. It it really solves the problem of people stealing designs or, or acting like that would know. change a lot. So if you're gonna buy digital art in the future, you get the JPEG. But anybody can right click, paste, copy paste the JPEG, right? Sure. Yeah. You can also have an NFT that represents your ownership, but now you can also represent the creation of it into a zk rollup that mm. you also own with the NFT. So you can NFTs right now basically say you own the reference to a file. Yeah, the blockchain and cryptography in general is going to advance that so that you can say we can tell from the moment the canvas was empty, all the way to that JPEG being published. Mm. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, uh, we we should close on build space. Oh, let's talk about so build space. Ten million dollar yeah. raise, or they announced the ten million dollar raise a sixteen Z. You were early, right? Yeah, we are. Space. Yeah. Oh, you were early. Yeah. So Orange Fund, which is the the venture company related to Orange now, invested in uh, build space several months ago. What stage were they at? Were they doing the spaces or were they doing still like the they just They were doing education, right? They'd just gotten off the, off the ground. Hmm. And what for reference, they're here, right? Yeah, Build Space is one of the founders, Inc. Yeah. kind of like flagship. What did you see in, in them? Was it Farza? It's Farza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. We, yeah. lo- we, we love Farza. But it just, any, exp- any interaction with him is just a unique experience every time. Is that the same? Like, can you describe when you met Farza and what you thought of Farza? Farza's going to see this on his timeline. He's going to be like, yo, what is this? <laughs> Why are these guys talking about me? You know, um, you have experienced founders who have a clear vision. And what we care about, like, we're not going to make a judgment on um, something that we know nothing about, right? And so he's clearly passionate about it. Um, he was building something that he knew how to build. Um, we all understood the analogy to Web2. We all understood the ability to actually onboard new users was going to be super. Like, if you think about, there's 8 billion people in the world right now, and the vast majority of them will be born in an era where the blockchain is like a thing, Yeah. right? It's like, well, then how do you get them on there? How do you educate them? Mm. That's going to be billions of people going through that process. Interesting. And they're essentially building like the Hogwarts, or so they describe it, the Hogwarts of like, the future, this like non-traditional way of going through school. So, so this is what's fun about dealing with repeat entrepreneurs is that they can describe a concept in a, this is the sizzle, yeah, right? If I said, oh, we're going to give you the Kaplan of, you know, Web3, you're like, fuck, that's fun. Yeah. Right? Anything but <laughs> right, Precisely. And, were you a Kaplan student? No, but no. I, had to, I had a big, thick textbook for SAT prep. Kaplan? Never yeah. opened. So, we've, so avoid the trauma. Yeah. We can go to Hogwarts. Like you can describe it as a Hogwarts. And now that's a far clearer and a positive way of describing exactly what Build Space is doing in a nutshell. Interesting. Right? That's a skill. Yeah. 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 And if you can onboard a billion people, you got to be able to communicate that. True. Yeah. True. And they have a lot of really cool stuff coming with, with the IRL concept. You know, in Fort Mason, we have obviously the Founders Inc. Lab, but there's also going to be the Build Space. Uh, I don't know what they're calling it, but like this Build Space um, physical location. Um, in Fort Mason attached to the same building Founders Inc. is attached to. And yeah. That's super exciting to see. Yeah. But I guess to close off, Ben, where can people find you on online? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Ben Hub, B-E-N-H-U-H. And my company is Origami. So you can find out what we're doing at joinorigami, O-R-I-G-A-M-I.com. Awesome. And where can people people find the blog um, about the dog toys? Is it still up? Oh, my God. No, it's long dead. <sighs> yeah. Someone acquired it for a lot of money, right? We gave it to one of our users, I think. 
like yeah, which like they wanted, to, yeah, they wanted to keep a community that were ongoing. That was it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. They really have the they have the stuff that's important. <laughs> they left you with the crumbs, right? They left you with blockchain, <laughs> AI. They left yeah, AI. blockchain, AI. Nothing. Nothing, right? Nothing. Nothing of real value. Yeah. All right. Here's where we cut it before it gets any worse. <laughs> Thanks everyone for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, do all the fun things. We will see you next week. Peace. Bye.